Good evening and welcome to the Living with Unresolved Problems workshop of WCNA 31. My name is Eric and I am an addict. And I don't have any announcements to make, so we'll just go ahead with the readings. Kim has been asked to read. Oh, excuse me. We have to do the serenity prayer. Excuse me. So, could we please open this meeting with a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thank you. Uh, Kim has been asked to read what is the Narcotics Anonymous program. My name is Kim. I'm an addict. What is the Narcotics Anonymous program? NA is a nonprofit fellowship or society of men and women for whom drugs have become a major problem. We are recovering addicts who meet regularly to help each other stay clean. This is a program of complete abstinence from all drugs. There is only one requirement for membership, the desire to stop using. We suggest that you keep an open mind and give yourself a break. Our program is a set of principles written so simply that we can follow them in our daily lives. The most important thing about them is that they work. There are no strings attached to NA. We are not affiliated with any other organizations. We have no initiation fees or, or dues, no pledges to sign, no promises to make to anyone. We are not connected with any political, religious, or law enforcement groups or and are under no surveillance at any time. Anyone may join us regardless of age, race, sexual identity, creed, religion, or lack of religion. We are not interested in what or how much you used or who or how much you used or who your connections were, but only what you want to do about your problem and how we can help. The newcomer is the most important person at any meeting because we can only keep what we have by giving it away. We have learned from our group's experience that those who keep coming to our, our meetings regularly stay clean. Thank you, Kim. Uh, Carol has been asked to read, Why Are We Here? Oh, Michelle, I wrote down Carol. Sorry. Good evening, family. My name is Michelle, and I'm an addict. Why are we here? Before coming to the fellowship of NA, we could not manage our own lives. We cannot live and enjoy life as other people do. We had to have something different, and we thought we had found it in drugs. We placed their use ahead of the welfare of our families, our wives, husbands, and our children. We had to have drugs at all costs. We did many people great harm, but most of all, we harmed ourselves. Through our inability to accept personal responsibilities, we were actually creating our own problems. We seemed to be incapable of facing life on its own terms. Most of us realized that in our addiction, we were slowly committing suicide. But addiction is such a cunning enemy of life that we had lost the power to do anything about it. Many of us ended up in jail or sought help through medicine, religion, and psychiatry. None of these methods was sufficient for us. Our disease always resurfaced or continued to progress until in desperation we sought help from each other in Narcotics Anonymous. After coming to NA, we realized we were sick people. We suffer from a disease from which there is no known cure. It can, however, be arrested at some point and recovery is then possible. Thank you, Michelle. At this time, I'd like to introduce our speaker. And I guess I have to put in a personal note here is that it's really an honor and a privilege to introduce you because in my darkest days of my recovery, you're my light and my sound. I'm introducing Renee R. from Maui. 
Hawaii. My name's Renee, and I'm an addict. I know we're all, I mean, if you're anywhere near as tired as I am, I will try and be very clear and keep my message simple and not get too esoteric, because I really couldn't handle it right now. (laughs) Um, I'm going to start out by giving you a little bit of my history, how I got here. Um, I come from a long line of addicts and people who have various addictions and um, a long line of hillbillies and ne'er-do-wells and bums and, you know, trailer trash and, you know, all of those wonderful things. Um, I started using at a relatively young age and I grew up in the 60s in Hollywood. I um, started out on marijuana and acid and went to the Haight-Ashbury and um, traveled all over the world. I ended up in Amsterdam and um, by the time I was 23 years old I was smuggling narcotics out of Afghanistan and Pakistan and other countries and um, by the time I was 26 I had been busted for smuggling heroin and I did um, three and a half years in a federal penitentiary and um, and I skipped the part when I was 19. I had been put in a mental hospital for taking too much LSD, basically. Um, they said I had other problems, but that was really the problem. Um, and so by the time I was 27, let's see, 26, I went to prison, 27, 28, 29, almost 30, I got out. Um, I was on parole in Long Beach. And I basically, to stay off heroin, I drank and used pills and I wrecked five cars and got a couple of DUIs and I was um, on probate, I was on off parole and on probation. <laughs> and um, so that was my life. And when I was 33 years old, I um, called up a detox in Santa Cruz and they said, come on down. And I had been kicked out of the methadone clinic, and I'd been kicked out of several places, synonym-based places in San Francisco. And um, and I went to that place, and I knew that there was no way that I was ever going to get clean and stay clean. And there was nothing that could help me because my mom had been in and out of Alcoholics Anonymous for 35 years. So people like me didn't get clean. We didn't stay clean. And I went to that detox, and um, they sent me to a women's recovery home, and um, I stayed. Somehow I stayed. I got in fights. I um, was really obnoxious when I first got clean. Some people think I'm still obnoxious, but but, um, I... I man, I you know, the miracle happened for me. Something happened for me. Something happened in my soul and in my heart that changed my life. And um, it happened because I was, you know, I heard other people. I heard other people in the room say, 
You, I heard one guy say, you don't ever have to detox again. That was the first thing that I actually heard in these rooms. You don't ever have to detox again. And I had kicked, you know, in San Francisco County Jail, a China White Habit, really bad. I had kicked alcohol. I had kicked pills. I had kicked off, I kicked um, um, crystal meth. You know, I had kicked everything. And um, just the idea that I might not ever have to detox again was enough to keep me in these rooms. And in the days that I got clean, I got clean in Salinas, California. And um, at that time, there were not very many women in the fellowship. I was kind of lucky because I had actually been to prison. So you know, the guys kind of accepted me, (laughs) but it was really tough in those days. There weren't a lot of women in the rooms. Um, There wasn't a lot of recovery in Salinas at that time in Narcotics Anonymous. We had very small meetings. We used to go to Santa Cruz because they had a bigger fellowship. And, um, And that's basically how it started. And I actually have a friend that's here tonight that um, I was friends with in those days. And we're still, we still know each other, which is kind of a miracle. So that's my story in the nutshell. Hi, Lilia. uh, Hi, guys. Um, That's what happened to me. The topic tonight is living with unresolved problems. And the first thing that came into my mind when they told me this was my topic is that uh, that's life. (laughs) Life is my unresolved problem. (laughs) And I live with it daily. And it's not going to go away until I'm dead. I mean, that's the truth. Every day, there is something about living that is an issue for me. You know, it never, um, it's never gotten to a point for me, and I speak only from my own experience, it's never gotten to a point for me in recovery where I've been able to kick back and say, oh, I am so cool now, I've got it. You know, I've got, you know, like, I don't have to worry anymore. I don't have to, like, have a sponsor. I don't have to work the steps. I don't have to look at myself. Maybe there are other people in these rooms. I know personally, from personal experience, that there are people in these rooms who have thought that that was what was happening for them, and I've watched them. And... Basically, I generally watch them get miserable. (laughs) That's what I've seen. Um, For me, I think the thing that I try to do and that I've always done is to face things. That's what I believe that I learned in the early days. I learned to stand up and, you know, not to be a chauvinist, but to stand up and be a man and face things and look at things for what they are and be willing to do the work on them. 
And that's, it was very, the message to me when I first got clean was very clear and very simple. There were very simple things that we did. First, you didn't take anything. And I don't want to get on a soapbox or anything, but when I first got clean, there was no tolerance for relapse. I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing, but because there was no tolerance for relapse, it was never an option to me. My peers in recovery did not allow that possibility. That was not a possibility. So we, the first thing for us was we weren't going to take anything no matter what. And the second thing for us is that we were going to face things. We weren't going to run away. We weren't going to hide. And we weren't going to allow ourselves to use other stuff to make us sicker. And that's been a real, that's been a real challenge for me. And I guess um, what I would like to do is tell you that today I have a number of unresolved issues. And probably the most serious unresolved issue I have in my life today is my husband's health. My husband is ill, and um, basically that's an unresolved issue. There's All I can do about that is pray. I have no control over it. I can't change it. I can't fix it. I can't um, work the steps and make it go away. I can pray about it. And that's how I deal with that issue. Um, I have other unresolved issues. I've had issues with my family in the past that, um, you know, I had an issue with my father. And my father died. And that issue was never resolved. I never had the courage to go to my father and talk to him about what happened. And even though I did the work in recovery, I did the writing, I went through the steps, I went through an honest evaluation of it with my sponsor, I never confronted my father, and my father died. But I came to a term of peace with myself about it. I went off by myself. I talked to my dad about it after he died, and I came to peace with it. And sometimes I think I think that sometimes we think that issues are going to um, be fixed. We get an impression that because we're in recovery, that things are going to be fixed. That we're going to have because. We're kind of the TV generation. We think that there's going to be a beginning, a middle, and an end. And hopefully, I mean, most of us, including myself, we think that it should be a happy end. But that's not always the case. There are things that we have in life that don't have a happy ending. And that's what an unresolved issue is to me. How... I'm going to stop for a minute. How we look at and face the things in our lives that we can't fix 
and that we can't change is more of a determination of what we're doing in our recovery than how well we look or how well we sound or how well we act. It's the things that we can't deal with, that we can't change, that we can't make better, that will crush us if we don't come to terms with them. So, ways that I've done dealt with unresolved issues in the past. In early recovery, I had unresolved issues about anger. I was a rageaholic. And I didn't really understand my anger. I didn't know where it came from. I didn't know when it began. I just knew that if you approached me or did certain things toward me, that I would completely lose it. And it took me, I would say, six years in recovery before I stopped raging, before I was able to stop doing that. And the thing that was the most powerful change for me is that I started to see my anger for the fear that it was. And I was able to love myself for that anger and to go inside myself and say, I love myself anyway. I love what, I love this process that I'm going through. I'm going to love myself in this process. Because I don't know about you guys, but condemnation doesn't work for me. Beating myself up doesn't work for me. Sometimes I need a sharp talking to, and sometimes I need to kind of kick myself in the ass. But beating myself up and telling myself I'm doing the wrong thing at the wrong time, that doesn't work for me. So I started looking at those kind of issues in myself in a different way and trying to love what, to love the process and to love how I go through this stuff and what I do in that process. Not necessarily the end result. Sometimes I can do a ton of work on something. You know, I could mention one issue, which is, you know, smoking. I can do a ton of work on a particular issue and still have what I think is failure in that area. But somehow in the process of doing that work, I gain so much knowledge about myself and understanding of other people and compassion and consideration that even though I failed in that particular area, I've grown. So that's another thing that I have to remember about unresolved issues is that it isn't always the end result. A lot of times, for me, I'm really anal and I'm really... um, You know, I like to have everything be perfect, and I like 
to always get it right and, you know, I like everybody to think I'm doing it right and all this other crap that we get into with our egos and, you know, all that stuff. And I forget that the most important thing is how I'm doing it, not the end result, but just how I'm doing it. How am I doing this work and how am I facing myself and how am I getting to these issues? Another unresolved issue that um, that I've dealt with on a pretty continuing basis is, I'm not really sure how to describe this, but it's kind of my own cynical thinking and my own negativity. And it's something that I've dealt with all my life since I was really young. And I'm constantly having to re-look at the world. I'm constantly having to pull myself around and look at the world as if I were a child that had grown up in a great family, (laughs) which, you know, wasn't the case. But not the kind of child that I was that was cynical. And, you know, by the time I was six years old, I realized that my mom was of no use to me and my father wasn't going to be around and, you know, I was going to have to raise my brothers and, you know, all this other stuff. Not that child, but the child that I would have been if I had been a real child. And sometimes I have to pull myself up and look at the world as that child in order to deal with the the kind of negativity and cynicism that I have that I've lived with all my life. And I'll tell you something. If I hadn't worked on that all through my recovery, I either would have killed myself by now or gotten loaded because I had that kind of thinking that makes everything um, dark. You know, I'm a dark side child. And when I look at the world, I see dark comic books. You know, I have to force myself to look on the light side. And one of the greatest miracles, one of the biggest gifts that I've had in my recovery was moving to Hawaii because there's something about my having moved here, that's another part of unresolved issues, is first you have to identify what your unresolved issues are. And that takes courage. It's really easy to go along in recovery and just go along. But it's hard. It's really hard to look at yourself and see what those issues are and allow other people to let you know, to give you information about what those issues are. And um, one of the hardest things for me is I was in Salinas and I was basically suicidal. And I went to this guy and he told me, you know, I don't think you should live in Salinas. I think you should think about living in someplace that you dream of. And he said, where would you dream of living? And I said, well, I've always dreamed of living on a tropical island. And at that time, but I told him it was impossible because I had this job and I had this house and I had these commitments in NA and I had all this other stuff going on. And within a 
three-week period, I had lost my job. They had ran me out of NA and um, service, <laughs> not the rooms. And um, uh, the people that I had the house came and told me they were going to have a baby and they wanted me to leave. And I had a friend that had moved to Maui, and my friend got a hold of him and said, you can go stay there. And I went to Maui. And what happened for me is that um, some of the unresolved issues I had about that I deserve to live my dreams, that miracles could happen for me, that I could live in a beautiful environment, in a beautiful place. Some of those issues, being white trailer trash and having lived in the streets and lived in my car and um, been on the bottom of the bottom of the heap, some of those issues began to be resolved for me. And that's another key, is that sometimes we can't do anything. We can't do anything. We have unresolved issues that we can't fucking fix. <laughs> Only some other power can fix them. Only something else can fix them. Sometimes it's a matter of time. Sometimes it's a matter of place. Sometimes it's a person that will come in your life. Sometimes, I mean, it can be all different manifestations of God. But different things happen outside of us. So, I, you know, I've had sponsees that have said, what do I need to work on? And I said, nothing. You just need to wait. You just need to come here and be here with us and wait. And things are going to change for you. And that is sometimes the truth. And for me, what happened to me when I moved to Maui is that God worked in my life and some things started healing for me. I had issues um, with acceptability. I had issues with um, finding a home. I had traveled all over the world. I had never lived anywhere for longer than two years in my entire life. I had never lived with anyone for longer than nine months in my entire life, including my parents. And I came to Maui, and I found a home. I, I found a place that I could be at home. And that was an unresolved issue for me. And it healed me in a way that I, I never believed I could be healed. And in the process of that, I found a husband, <laughs> which I've been with for 13 years, longer than I've ever been with anybody on this entire planet <laughs> and ever expected to be. <laughs> and, you know, that's been a blessing and a miracle. I've had all kinds of unresolved issues that have been resolved in these rooms. So I have to tell you that after 23 years here, I have had a lot of things that have resolved themselves in very positive ways. Another issue that has resolved for me through a lot of work is my attitude toward life, my behavior and my attitude. And i got to tell you, I'm not always the greatest at this. I do slip every now and then. 
And, you know, I just like fall back into that old person for a split second or maybe even a whole day sometimes or, you know, like a week or, you know. But what the other thing that's happened for me too is that once you result, once you have resolution in a particular area, especially an area of the spirit, once you have resolution in that area, it is almost intolerable to go back. It becomes almost intolerable to go back there. You can't live there anymore. Um, I really believe that people with time should um, show their ass. I don't have any um, heroes in here. I have a lot of people that I love and admire, but um, I don't think that anybody here should be um, up here acting like they're a guru or, you know, a saint or, you know, any of that crap. <laughs> I just don't believe it. And when it happens, like I said, I just don't believe it because I can only go by what's inside of me and my own experience. And my own experience is that the addict in me is always there. It's it's there. It's not as vocal. It doesn't have very much control in my life. And it doesn't allow me to trash things in my life anymore. But it's still there. And sometimes... If I'm going to deal with an unresolved issue, I have to respect that part of myself. Um, I'm going to get back to the thing about health. Because that is, um, that's something that a lot of us, I think, have to deal with, or a lot of the people that I know have to deal with our health issues in recovery. And I have to tell you that um, my husband had an issue about six years ago where he almost died. And my response to that issue was that, I did something that I hadn't done in a long time in recovery. I fought with God. I raged at God. I was really, really angry because I had this perfect little world set up. I had the perfect relationship for me. It wouldn't be for you, but it is for me. (laughs) And... And I had a nice job and a nice house and a nice life on Maui. And now some part of it was threatened. And I couldn't accept that. I could not accept it. And um, and I didn't go gracefully. I didn't just go and pray and meditate. I didn't call my sponsor. I didn't work the steps. I drove down the highway going 85 miles an hour screaming at God um, in anger. And 
I did that until I lost power, until I had, like, depowerized myself and, you know, came to and went, oh, my God, you know, this is like, I I can't do anything about this. I can't keep doing this because it wears me out. And um, I have to come to some kind of terms with this. And I, I'm trying to think of how to describe the process. The process started with me telling God, okay, I can't make any deals with you about this. I don't know if I can accept this if, if this happens. I don't, I don't know. But I'm going to take it one minute at a time. And I'm going to try and accept your will for me to the best of my ability for this minute. And I'm going to keep doing that each minute as things go by. And I made a commitment to do that. And I said, God, I'm going to try to to feel your love through this and to know that you love me even though I'm angry and even though I can't accept it. And I did that, and my husband's still here today, so, you know, it's working so far pretty well. Um, there are still times when it's very uncomfortable. There are still times when um, I worry. I try to stay away from worrying because I can't do anything about it. That's another thing that I'll give you a hint about, unresolved issues. Um, worrying about them doesn't do fuck all. <laughs> it's of no use. <laughs> you got to either do something about them or get into deep denial. There's only two routes. <laughs> so I try not to worry about stuff. I try to either do the work or just... You know, I'm not good at denial, I have to tell you. I mean, maybe I am. Maybe there's people in the room that are going to come up to me and after and go, you're really in denial. <laughs> but but um, I don't think I do denial too well. Um, so those are some of the techniques and things that, I mean, those are some of the things that I've learned and done. And, you know, I... I am a continuing, you know, I've heard this before, I'm a continuing work in progress, but I'm the director of that work with God. You know, me and God direct the work. And other people can guide me, they can give me hints, they can take my inventory, they, you know, they can kind of push me along the way or they can hinder me or they can, you know, but basically it's on me. It's my job. You know, there are no excuses. And um, and that's kind of how I am. Um, let's see. Do I have anything else to say? I, I love what happens here. I don't always love how it happens. I don't always love the way it happens. But I love what happens here. There is something that continues to happen here for all of us. No matter how we do it, no matter how we dance this dance, 
It happens for all of us in some way that we all perceive in each other. And, you know, we look at each other and we have different opinions about how we're doing the dance and why they're doing it and who's doing it and, you know, all this other garbage. But the reality is that every one of us offers something to somebody else. Every one of us gives something on that path to opening our awareness and to letting us know what the issues are that we have to deal with. And another key thing that I just thought of is that if if you think that you can be here and sit in these chairs and be comfortable without dealing with any of this stuff, tell me how you're doing it. <laughs> I want to know because I've worked my ass off to deal with some of this stuff and to get to some level of comfort. Really. And um, and I know that a lot of other people in this room, I look in this room and I see there are a lot of people in this room that I know more than well. And I know that they've worked their asses off to be in these chairs and have any degree of comfort and be okay. And I really appreciate all of you coming here at 11.30 at night to listen to me. I just think that is such a gift. Thank you all so much. Well, again, let's thank Renee for speaking. Thank you so much. Beautiful. Uh, Lewis has been asked to read just for today. Monadic name, Lou. Just for today, tell yourself. Just for today, my thoughts will be my thoughts will be on my recovery, living and enjoying life without the use of drugs. Just for today, I will have faith in someone in NA who believes in me and wants to help me in my recovery. Just for today, I will have a program. I will try to follow it to the best of my ability. Just for today, through NA, I will try to get a better perspective on my life. Just for today, I will be unafraid. My thoughts will be on my new associations, people who are not using and who have found a new way of life. So long as I fall that way, I have nothing to fear. Uh, Thank you. Okay, well, let's uh, make a circle and do the third step prayer, please.